This is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global changemakers dedicated to creating a healthier planet. One where our unique gifts are lived, expressed, and celebrated. I'm your host, Julian Guderlei. I'm sitting here today with Dan Gorter. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Julian. Good to be here. Thank yeah, you it's, a, it's a pleasure to host you. Uh, Dan is uh, one of the co-founders of GaiaNet, um, a you know purpose-driven community platform for individuals that are you know applying themselves in regenerative ways, or as as GaiaNet calls it, in new earth ways, uh, with with impact into the world to to meet each other, to grow together, and to expand together. Dan, do you want to share a little bit how you know of your language about GaiaNet and also how? Um, maybe maybe how it started like what your what your drive and your purposeful connection itself is to to the project so the, the short comprised version we started guying it when uh, just before corona hit holland well actually when corona hit holland and it was a big accelerator because uh we were all of a sudden getting together a group of people who said wow this is the end game you know the world is really going to end at some point and this might be the great accelerator so what are we all going to do? And then, especially Alexander said, all the solutions are already out there, but the people just don't know each other yet. That was kind of how it was birthed. And for me, it was a call because I wanted for years already to build an international network of visionaries and change makers who want to build a regenerative civilization. Because I wanted to build a village at that time. I still do. Well, I want to build a lot more than a village. But So that was my pool because I knew I need a tribe and a network of pioneers i would say of mm. a new consciousness and a new way of living on the planet and this was my call to join forces with others who wanted to find the solutions that can bring a different paradigm something that is uh, harmonious for all life mm. uh, j just because you know we're, we're just at the beginning of this episode maybe maybe just share a little bit how big Guyanet is right now and like what kind of the regular rhythm of it is. Cause I know there's a, an online community to it, but you also have hosted some physical events and, and, you know, it, it's turned into a lot of things already in the, the short two years of, of you guys co-creating it. Yeah. So the team consists of four co core contributors who've been on it full time. Then we have uh, four advisors that support us every six weeks. And then we have a pool of 20 to 30 volunteers who assist on a regular basis. And we have around 400 members. They're in 26 different countries. And I would say out of those, we have 20 of them that are really aligned with Guyanet and regularly speak about the mission. So you could say they're also ambassadors in these countries. And um, well, we really have the Guyanet community and the Guyanet organization is becoming more and more clear. And the organization is really focused on supporting the community but also bringing project leaders together and also prototyping and testing a lot of different ways of how to communicate how to organize how to decide together um, how to look at value together um, and how to look at what is required at this transition point i think so it's more like the organization is a high speed test bed where we really are at the edge of everything and try to find the next best thing. And within the community, it's more the space where people meet together and share a little bit about themselves. But in the community is not so active, apart from that we have a monthly gathering where everybody comes and we have some um, different kinds of masterminds or fractal events that are very topic related, such as the New Earth Villages, where we have project presentations once every four to six weeks. And uh, now somebody's opening an education fractal and, you know, so around the different topics of what is whole systems designed towards a civilization. And that's starting to bubble up. Um, besides that, uh, especially Barton and Alexander are visiting a lot of places and people and gatherings. So they have co-created with Rebuild earlier this year, physical gathering. Uh, last year we had a physical Guyanet gathering co-created with the volunteers in Belgium. Um, and now they're working towards the gathering of tribes in Portugal, which is also in collaboration with Rebuild. So it's a variety of which part of the organization and the community is facilitating what, in the, if they're digital or live events at the moment. Crad, that's yeah, that's awesome. Cadence. That's awesome. Thanks for, for kind of bringing that into context. And, you know, I've met, I've met you several times in Alto Paraíso, Brazil, where, where you live, uh, where you're at right now and in this moment. And I've met Alexander. He's been on the podcast as well. 
um, at Rebuild, actually. And so it's really interesting to see, you know, Green Planet, Blue Planet with the events I've been hosting and, and the, you know, the different access points pe people have to this podcast and also the guests that were on the show are, is also like a, a network in a certain in a certain way, one of those sense-making um, nodal points, right? And so it's so exciting for me personally to see other people come up with very similar missions in different kind of expressions and flavor because our diversity is obviously uh, so so key and we all attract different kind of puzzle pieces. But then to also come together in the same physical spaces at gatherings like for example rebuild or our own gatherings it it's just such a joy to see and i want to make sure i, I share this on this po um, podcast and this broadcast today because that to me is already the regenerative movement happening it's already the new earth happening even though we're just transitioning out of the unlearning from the old structures and we're just understanding how to operate uh, you know when there's still a federal banking uh, reserve and 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 monetary interest that is you know overriding a lot of geopolitical things that most of us individually have very little power against. But we're realizing right that that in these groups and networks, as we uh, come together as puzzle pieces, suddenly things start to click that completely forego the traditional power structures and and so maybe and hopefully and at some point there will be decentralized currencies to to kind of back us up with even more operating power. What's your what's your take on this? Where we're at in this timeline, Dan, in, in in regards to like the old world dying, the world of Cartesian reductionism that that it has only problems and solutions and power, um, and the new world birthing that's more about the individual genius, the spark of creativity, and the way we bring this into embodiment and collaboration. I have different parts inside of me that have different perspectives. Bring out, bring out all of them. <laughs> bring out all of them. So I say the optimist inside of me and the, the dreamer and the visionary sees that we are in an incredible transition of consciousness and that there is this energetic acceleration, this kind of higher vibration or feeling of possibilities that is like a magnet for the people who believe in that. So there's really a, a wave building up. It's like a feeling that there's a movement starting to curl up. It's like that beautiful rolling wave that you really want to grab <laughs> on your longboard, you know? Um, and I'm not entirely sure when I look at the other perspectives and the other roles inside of me that look at this, how big that wave is. And if we are imagining that wave to be a lot bigger because we really want it to happen, or if it really is starting to curl up. Because when I look at the state of affairs around me physically, especially like news is not a good counselor, but when you look at information on the internet, I would say in general information that you can research about the current state of affairs doesn't look good at all, but it's also probably very polarized. So the question is if it's really that extreme actually, and if the problems are really that bad, and if there is actually this, this more general increase of evolution happening but we are definitely in a positive change and it depends on the adaptability of each individual on the planet how much suffering is required before we transition into something more calm stable and resilient because i do believe that it's going to head that way at some point in the future so in the big, big, big lines, if definitely if I detached from my own identity and I look at this from a humanity perspective, I think it's going very well and it's going really great. And I'm very hopeful for the long-term future, but I'm mm. concerned about the short-term future. So mm. a mix of things. Yeah, thanks for, for that honest answer about the mix of things. I think this is a super important thing to continue to, to normalize that we have different poles within us. And it's it's healthy to reconcile um, maybe all of those perspectives to then come to um, the point where we reach threshold or transformation becomes possible as individuals, as groups, and then as a collective, just as much. Um, it's 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 one of those things that you know I, I'm in Canada now after five months in Brazil and coming back to Canada. Um, at this point, it's uh, June 2022. 2022, yeah, um, <laughs> you know time such an illusion but but i'm i'm realizing that you know the the right for free speech and the right for also opposing views 
as you just shared, within ourselves, that's actually something that is there. Most people can relate to this, but on a short-term political level, on a, on, a, on a public level, this is currently under full attack, right? The cool thing though, especially with Canada to make this example just very precise is, um, you know, yesterday travel restrictions changed once again, and it looks like the whole world is easing restrictions around traveling and health protocols. And it looks like a lot of the, um, the heavy restrictions and the censorship that wants to happen, people are really starting to see this is not the way to deal with, this is not the way how to cultivate democracy, peace, understanding, connection, and a world that really allows for healthy humans on a psychological level, on a physiological level. And so this makes me personally really hopeful in what you just brought up is that even though our bubble of people that are wanting to build a new earth or who are here, here to take responsibility to become a regenerative agent of change might be a bubble that at large there's there's starting to be a lot of no's to the old power structures was like honestly these last two years are fucking crazy we cannot have a pharmaceutical company buy up the government to tell us what to do and so that is getting really interesting would you would you agree or do you see that's still actually part of the problem I'd say I, I'm happy to see that uh, there is a, definitely an increasing movement of people realizing what many of us realized 20 years ago after 9-11. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And, and that, it, that is necessary, man. There needs to be. And I, I hope that the pain and suffering is already big enough for a big enough shock for the people to not just have a, a shock response, but the lasting change in attitude. But so far, very good, very positive. Also depends, I guess, where you are, huh? I'm here in Brazil. I don't think anybody talks about these things. So mm. if you look here, how, how compliant people are with restrictions and how nobody complains about things that are really not okay for me from the culture where I'm from, then that's a different environment. Mm. Yeah? It's Red, that's the, the cool thing about being a, a global nomad or you know living in different contexts through this time is that you see how culturally our cultural biases set us up for different forms of... Uh, compliance or resistance or or revolution or or just creating the space to be like hey i mean if you want to choose this you can you can choose to work nine to five but but really if you don't want to then just choose something different and that space i believe is generative in itself that's what i love about gaia net too from the the parts i know and the the thing the insight i, I i've had so far is that we are on missions to create generative spaces that allow people to generate energy in a different way because the transaction is not the same as in a you know hyper capitalist kind of structure where it's all about what do i get from you yeah what can i extract from this mm -hmm. instead of what can i contribute to this big time well i'd love to go through a few questions with you down in in the context of gaia net and you know the the the, the, the positive future that we're, we're here to, to create on a healthy planet. And so, you know, the word purpose has been thrown around in the last years so much. How would you define purpose yourself? And, and, and what, do you, what do you connect with as your purpose at this time in your life? Purpose in general for me is something that is felt through meaning. It's something... When you are on purpose, you feel meaning and meaning is felt in very ingraspable moments. I heard Jordan Peterson that re repeat that again yesterday in one of his talks. So purpose is about direction. It's about alignment. It's about, it's super important. And I think we have a serious purpose crisis or more like a meaning crisis that a lot of people don't know what their purpose is. And yeah, it's kind of similar, the word purpose, how much it's being used almost by organizations and corporates within the market state environment for capitalistic purposes, for, for profit purposes, to then greenwash the word purpose. So that's there too. But purpose is super important. And um, for, for me, it's it's very related to the purpose of Guided. It's to connect and unite those people who are from the living from the heart and who want to co-create a, a new paradigm, a new earth, a, a paradigm of a community type society. And I see myself, my purpose in that as a facilitator, as a, as a connector. And uh, 
because in the end, I don't really have the solutions, but my purpose is to hold space, I guess, to really be here and to respond to where I am asked for service, I think. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful how the word service comes up when, when you share a purpose. I want to jump into, you know, like one of the hot topics and it's going to be a hot topic for a while. I'm predicting and that's money and currency. What do you think the next steps of currency and like regenerative money really is going to look and feel like, like conceptually, but also like as pragmatically as we can make it in a conversation? For me, it's about the true flow of value that that becomes more and more transparent between each individual. And the technology is going to assist that different sense-making capacity between people because it's we're so programmed about what to value. If you ask most people value, they say money. No, <laughs> I'm also only learning that there's like many forms of capital, social capital, intellectual capital, relational capital, but also material capital but also spiritual capital of, or experiential capital. And I think that we are in a massive transition away from, I'd say, government-controlled currencies. No, it's like, actually, the currencies we are allowed to interact and exchange value with up until five or ten years ago was mostly reduced to money that was given out by governments. And that ability to provide infrastructure for value exchange is transitioning into the people. So that means the people are developing the tools for how to exchange value with each other at this moment, as we are still working on the concept of trade right now, where we exchange one thing for the other. But I really see that you are a seat happening with NFTs, with artists, with musicians that are being re-rewarded again. The first phase of the internet destroyed it because basically everything got copied for free. And it's like they're giving back their power of their creation and of their of their life force energy. And that's so that's super beautiful. And I see that these currency models right now are still very money connected and based because they're bridging away from that. But at some point, hopefully they become less transactional over time and they also become Mm, less corruptible, I guess, internally, where we are going to look much more at the merit of the people and where, as we slowly transition, pragmatically move into tools and infrastructure that can translate love and doing good between people and, and, and in people's service to the good of all. And that, that it's, 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 just, it's like this squinging, turning around of the rules of the game. It's got a, you know, some friction, but... The way it is now, extraction, predatorial behavior and, and dominance and all of that is rewarded and, and destroying at the cost of many for the benefit of the few is rewarded. And, and it's like that pyramid is slowly going to turn upside down and we see it in the crypto movement with, man, it's so liberating, no? So I think I'm going to stop there, but all of this moving to some point beyond the point of transaction, beyond mm -hmm. the point of trade, but that's much for creating a weaving a web of of maybe also multilateral meaning that allows for as you said more than just transaction and, and and create this this kind of circular you know value issuing into all directions yeah yeah this is exciting what you said i think you know no one really knows what the next steps are but you mentioned something really important which i want to make sure to highlight in also you know a recorded conversation june 2022 I'm personally fully with you. We're still running the risk of the perpetuation of the control through governments and um, large globalist um, uh, entities. So if, if our digital currency gets tied to conditions that are centralized, now then we're on a hook, right? We've already been on that hook with, with fiat currencies. Um, personally, this again, <laughs> it's just a, a wild guess, but... I don't believe Bitcoin is going to be the, the currency of the future. I think it's just a, a beta version of, of a lot of these ideals because it can still be hijacked by, you know, um, monetary power players or oligarchs and, and governments. But we will need, I believe, a stable coin that replaces the Federal Reserve Bank and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. And as long as those entities of globalist culture are controlling we're still operating in the same old reality that we have so far, right? 
So that's going to be a big threshold point, I believe. And man, I have no idea when it's going to happen, but I sure have my fingers crossed that it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's so interesting because in your in your very carefully picked wording, I could hear that it's really also about that then currencies really graduate over just being money because money is a transactional exchange tool, but currencies is just it's just tracking flow, the flow of energy, the exchange of energy, uh, the the perpetuation of energy, and just like we we know, like um, you know when you when you do good things, more good things usually birth. How can money be something that is rather than debt-based uh, kind of rebirthing, rejuvenating in its structure, right? Very exciting times. And um, let's uncouple from, from the old structures. Step one. Yeah. Which brings me to trust. You know, when we talk about cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, I think for a lot of people who this topic still feels over their head or, you know, especially NFTs and digital tokens and all of this, I think what's what's lacking in this world at large is trust. Right? We don't have trust in our governments, even though we've accepted them for decades. Um, maybe some people have trust in, in their governments, but the last two years showed them that they're ultimately just at the whim of you know multinational companies and their profit interests. So, so this trust is very shaken. What is, you know, I want to hear personally, Dan, like what is trust for you? And then if you can, like how does it feel in your body to experience trust? That's a beautiful question. Thank you. My biggest inspiration for this is Brene Brown, who researched the anatomy of trust. And she explains it very well. Definitely look up that video for if you're listening and you're interested about that, because she explains how trust is made in the little moments between people. And trust can also be broken in the little moments. And they're not big agreements between people, but it's... Uh, the little things we notice or our agreements that we keep or the safety between each other when we share privately and we trust that the other person doesn't share that with anybody else. And for me, trust is the basis of everything. If there is not enough trust, it leads to people projecting and doubting each other and questioning each other. And a lack of trust in any relationship is ineffective for me. So it's very important and trust is obtained through honesty with each other and, and, and good communication skills and, and psychological safety. So, and how does that feel? It's like, it's this feeling of being at completely at home in my body when I am in an environment where I feel a lot of trust, whether that is with an individual, whether that is with a team or whether that is at, at some party or a big organization or whatever. If, it's this, yeah, it's this feeling of not having to be on my guards at any level. And this is very subtle in my body mm -hmm. because I'm not only sensing physiological dangers, but emotional, mental, and long-term things. I think when you grow and evolve, you become sensitive to these things. You know? So yeah, summarized, it's to feeling at, at ease, you know? feeling at home inside. And it feels open. There's no compression at all in all of these parts, forward parts of the body. So especially around the heart area and the gut area, it's completely relaxed. That's how it feels. Well said. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful answer. And trust is definitely going to continue to be a big topic in honesty in the way in the world we build, right? Um, I'm going to move on to another question because I'm, I, I, know, I know this about you, Dan, but I, I want to, I want to ask about it and that's the role of mindful psychedelic use or you know mindful plant medicine uh, connection and you know I, I know this is one of the things that you're also passionate about um do you want to share a little bit how that entered your life and how um and what role do you think it plays in in, in the rewiring uh, of our hearts and minds to to be resilient for a world that is actually regenerative yeah well, I guess it, it rolled into my life due to synchronicity, due to I probably was supposed to read about it because that's how it came into my life. And I was really in the process of what does it mean to be masculine or to be a man in my late 20s and having a man's group around me and people were talking about purpose. And I was like, yeah, what's purpose and what's my purpose and how do I discover that? So I was on a quest for purpose. 
and I found a, a blog post from High Existence Self Development website. Uh, amazing, Julian. Uh, yeah, amazing guy. Yeah. And um, yeah. it, it uh, wrote about Ibogan, about ayahuasca. And it said, if you were looking for purpose, then these plants can assist you. And I went to chase the plants and I tried them in different settings and didn't do much for me. And then I let it go. And then a year later, a friend of me said, hey, I once heard you talk about this. And there is this guy that's flying in. And the, the day after tomorrow is giving a ceremony. And I forgot to tell you, but my body said yes. The body instantly responded. So I canceled my appointments for the next days after the ceremony and I just went. And I was totally unprepared and that was really good for my mind because that way I could surrender. And it was life-changing. It uh, brought me from being a reductionalist, materialistic guy that was very good in arguing that if you can't measure it, it's not true, to somebody who experienced his infinity. It's like incredible, man. Like it still mm. touches me today. I can get really emotional about it, but this is such a gift. And it expanded my reality from my own little mind into the all. <laughs> and I think if it's well placed for people and it's in the right time of their lives, it can do incredible benefits. So I'm a strong advocate because I love the science behind it. I also love what it does to your brain and the body and what we see in the MRI and, and what we look at trauma and it's like not just placebo. Some people say plant medicine is placebo, but then you haven't gone really deep down the rabbit hole, brother, if you still think it's a placebo. <laughs> so um, another perspective, I was once at a lecture and uh, there was a story there about um, a guy that uh, uh, had a dream that he was in a cave and he was an old Indian guy dying. And um, he was in a sacred cave and his only apprentice that he had left had been shot by the colonists and he was there to die with all his knowledge and wisdom. And he was lying there to die. A lady walked into the cave and uh, the lady said to the man, it's not going well with you. And the man freaked out. He said, well, a woman in my sacred cave and these are my last moments, my last breaths. What are you doing here? You were like defiling my last ritual. And she said, well, I actually come to bring you a message here, an invitation, that when you pass, you can do two things. You can go back to your tribe and meet all the people that have been murdered by the colonists and be with the family. Or you can reincarnate as a white person and bring the plants and the knowledge into that world to bring a change from the invaders from the inside out. And when I heard that story shared by this guy, like also I had a very strong physical reaction in hmm. It's like, I think many of us are, are coming back in different places, in different societies, bringing other kinds of knowledge and bridges from the jungle, the plant world, from ancient knowledges to elevate the consciousness in very dark places right now. And uh, I think that's why I started to work with this stuff and why, yeah, also why I'm in Brazil. And I really believe that ayahuasca is, is a particular plant that is a call, last, last cry out almost from the nature to come inside of our hearts, to reconnect the heart with the mind, the body, and reconnect us with where we came from, and to make us see that we're part of her, of nature, and to spread that amongst the people around us. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful, man. So beautiful. It is so beautiful. One of the things when in, in one of you know my last immersions with the medicine, which was just recently in Alto Paraíso, um, was just this understanding, this feeling, that this is the most normal thing I could be doing. It's like the most natural thing I could be doing. In fact, humans have done it for thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, when you drive from Alto Paraíso back into the more um, urbanized society, so, you, you know, you drive to Brasilia, one of the, the capital of Brazil, one of the, the largest cities. And it just feels like such a plastic world where these fake levels of hierarchy separate you from your neighbor and the people around you. And you do things like going to a shopping mall or whatever else to get certain things done. And you realize this doesn't feel normal. This is just something we've normalized through meaning making as uh, how a society looks, but it doesn't actually feel natural in my body. It doesn't feel normal in my perception of reality. Drinking an ancient plant vine that is, you know, at the base of all the healing modalities of plants in the Amazon that 
actually still are over 60% of the ingredient of all the pharmaceutical drugs in the world, you know, come from plants in the Amazon, that where the shamans tell us, well, we just know that these plants have healing properties from eating those plants. And then they tell us which plants have healing properties, which is, you know, that alone is pretty mind blowing, but, but it, it is somehow personally, I experienced it as, as you said, very beautiful, very graceful, deeply unraveling, but also just normal, like a natural thing. Mm. This is what I try to explain sometimes to people what it is to be deep in that energy of, of such a ritual. That for me, uh, it's a completely no mind. There is this sensation of feeling everybody, the room, the music, the, the, the air. It's like, and then it's just guided. It's like the not doing, the, the, what they talk about in the Tao, the not doing. What's it called? Wu Wei? Yeah, Wu Wei. the term yeah. for it. Yeah. That you experience that very deeply. Effortless and effort. Effortless effort. And I think that's what the plants then come to bring. Like, hey, remember mm. how actually easy it, <laughs> it is supposed to be. And then for us to reintegrate that practically into our daily life, to learn to let go of the control. I think that is what, what it's really bringing. And the more we let go of this mind, this mentia, this mentira, no? Mentia, and listen more mm. to the corazón, the color in action, listen to the heart, then the more we are guided by the frequencies, vibrations and, 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 and life itself, which is just happening all the time. We don't need to do anything about it, but because we are out of touch with our spirit and out of touch with the nature and the vibrations of the nature, especially if you live in a big city, it's easy mm -hmm. to get out of touch when you're in those boxes and programming and lights and noises and then there is no more nature. But when you're living, the more you live in the nature, yeah, the more you will find the, the magic again of the not doing and the things happening all the time. Yeah, this is this is really profound what you just shared. Also, um, fantastic little uh, English-Portuguese workplace for those of you that speak Portuguese. Rewind, that was awesome, Dan. Um, you know, coração and also... Uh, what was the other one? Menchi. Mentira. Menchi. The, yeah, the lie. Mentira meaning yeah. the lie and menchi meaning the mind. And they're the same uh, origin of, of word there, right? So language is quite exciting to to un, to peel back the layers of the um, pineapple, um, the onion. And the pineal? The pineal. And so, you know, I want to come back to effortless effort here because it is like the holy grail that's when it when it's happening you're not you're not grasping at something that you should be doing it's like when you're surrendered enough to not overthink but to just be in the flow of what's happening right like let's say you're at an event and you're just in it you're not thinking about tomorrow and what the next day is planned for you just know today here i am in this group with these five people oh an hour later there's like a programming let's go listen to that person hey let's go to a waterfall like this kind of flow of interaction is effortless effort and it really can be applied to what we call business or entrepreneurship and it's i believe it's the holy grail it's it's definitely in high performance coaching one thing to consistently hold space for people and facilitate their growth to happen there more often however it's very paradoxical because you can't get there by striving to be there you, you, you can't get there by trying to be there. You get there by becoming aware of the context, becoming aware of the environment, and becoming aware of your role in the moment, uh, moment to, to moment, right? And there's lots more to it, but, but this effortless effort is, I think, a really big, um, like a, it's going to be like a red thread when we look back at this time, that the regenerative movement, this new earth is born through effortless effort, where human frictions can be dealt with because we're not actually efforting at each other. It's just like, oh, you see this different than me. Got it. Well, let's listen. Let's hear each other. And then human friction turns into something that makes us more resilient rather than a breaking up kind of scenario or like a competing for who has the ownership in, of intellectual property or data, like the, the past of you know, hyper-capitalist um, striving has looked like. I, I believe it's, it's the Wu Wei that's going to be the red line or the golden line through. Mm. what's maybe maybe uh, your own practice to connect to that way you said the medicine has shown you this 
when you go into your day to day, and I'm sure you go in and out of it, but what's one of your ways to practice this? Observe. To be attentive to every moment. To become more mindful of everything that I can observe. Because it's all signaling all the time. Yeah. It's that in a combination with healthy understanding of personal development and human growth and physiological needs. I guess in general need fulfillment. That helps me too. I notice that it's very important to have my basic balances all in check. If I don't have that, then I have no way to be attentive because there's always the, the distraction. So it's first of all by liberating enough time to become attentive and I do whatever I can to liberate as much time as possible and then to direct that free time to things that I find meaningful that might not make sense but that are things that I feel in the moment so yeah man that's it summarized mm -hmm. brilliant well spend I have as little time as possible to mm -hmm. do what you need to do that's really the trick to spend as little possible as time you need to do to fulfill the basic needs including exercise sport and, and whatever and having enough mm. money and spend the maximum amount of time that you have left on following the heart and the responses and, and practicing this reaction to the moment yeah mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just let that let that stand and and vibrate and share and continue to broadcast it's an interesting thing about broadcasting is that you know we're recording this in this unique moment right now but it continues to be cast uh, ongoingly right and people can tune yeah. into it at different times and it, therefore you're if you're listening to this and it's not june 2022 you're effectively time traveling mm -hmm. um, back into this moment when dan and i connected between the north and south of the americas um, alto paraiso to uh, victoria songi's first nations territory Dan, I'm, I'm curious about your earth vision, your dream for the seven generations forward. And this is my, um, my last question for you today. And also the question that made me start this podcast with, you know, over 300 interviews at this point of just wanting to hear what, what is the dream people have for this planet, this, this, this pathway forward as we are, you know, um, the ancestors of future generations. Well, the predecessors, I guess. Yeah, timelines, seven generations, seven generations is a beautiful period and a lot can happen. And I hope that my dream is that in, in seven generations, humanity is able to transition beyond the pain and the suffering that's been accumulated the last thousands of years. So that uh, all of the residue of that which doesn't serve no more and which creates fear and separation may be purged and healed and given back to where it came from so that um, we may take a rightful place in this paradise in this garden and become true guardians also of this planet and how that's going to look and form is my dream is uh, yeah through a constant evolution of the path that we're on i really believe in technology i really believe in uh, evolution of our social structures and um, how in, uh, global information systems can give equal access to uh, where are the resources and how can I get my needs fulfilled. So also in seven generations, I hope that all of humanity has equal access at least to get their needs fulfilled. If they choose to do so, it depends on the consciousness. And I don't believe that we're going to go to a place beyond duality or a place where there is no more friction or a place where people don't get angry anymore. I think all of these emotions are beautiful, actually. And also feeling lost and fearful and all these things. I think it's the full color no? of what the heart can experience. So it's all the colors of the rainbow. I don't think those colors are going to go away. But um, yeah, and... and if I really dream big, then it's even bringing back what is going extinct now. I mean, that's allowed in a dream, no? It's allowed in a dream to dream up anything you want. So 
I would love to see especially these beautiful animal species that we are losing to come back at some point. And maybe we will have those capacities through our technological advancements. And yeah. So um, what I mean by that is we live here clean, without war, without politics, without trade, without fear for each other. And we live in peace and we all feel at home on the planet. A hole on, on, on the, the picture of peace you're drawing as a, an image for the nation of images, the imagination. You know, I said it's going to be my last question, but I'm going to hook in uh, one more time because you said no trade. Do you want to clarify what you mean with that? Just no trade in the same way as we know it now? or No trade. No trade. Trade is part of the market state operation and we don't need trade to exchange goods and to fulfill human needs. We can still exchange, but not mm. trade. So that means where things are abundant, it will be transported to other places where they're less abundant and where there is a higher need for those things. And there might be exchanges, but there's no trade. So there's no transaction happening. There's no payment. Got it. There's there's a reciprocity that's that's based on exchange. Example, you don't trade with your brothers and sisters and your mother and father. You exchange things. You give them. Actually, you give them. Mm, you it's give a gift things. of love. As yeah. a family, you give. You don't trade with each other. Trade happens between parties and governments and bodies and money and yeah, trade of the market. It landed for me also personally, and very, very, very clear. That's that's amazing. And when you talk about technology, Dan, I'm curious about your personal opinion there because I, I you know. My personal opinion is that we're also, we talked about governments earlier and, and money where it's like, we still got to be really skeptical and like keep watching with, with, with eagle eyes there and, and not just watching, but also be agents of creating what we actually need and want. But what about technology? I, you know, I don't, I don't love when people place all their hope and oh, technology will be our savior for everything. You know, um, maybe I'll, I'll start with uh, one specific question. Microchips in our brains, yes or no? No. Um, do you want to do you want to elaborate a little bit why and where kind of the line is between healthy technology and technology as like a just a tool to make us slaves? There is no necessity to implant any technology into the body in order to communicate between the body and the technology. So there's just no need for it. No. And it's invasive and it's, it has horrible like consequences, can be used in the wrong hands. And like, there's so many reasons why it's so dangerous to do that. So no way, man. But mm. are people going to do it? Yes, for sure. People are going to, if it's allowed by the law and unregulated, people will do it. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I hear you on that. And we can't control what others are doing, but I, I'm, I'm with you. There's no need to actually interface with technology through making your body part of a, an AI grid, right? We, technology, in my understanding, is just a reflection of uh, the consciousness that we already are, that is already operating a technology, which is the human, right? And so it's just an extension of that consciousness rather than um, a savior God that's going to take over the biological realm. But where do you, where yeah, do you but... reconcile that kind of integration there let me ask you a question the point that the technology has become much more advanced than humanity would you then want to have a microchip in your brain well define advanced right um my answer would be no personally i don't i don't really believe that our advancement happens through an external agent like a chip that you know and then would be introduced as an internal agent. I think that actually it is a function of our consciousness. And there's, you know, like we know through science uh, in the old paradigm has said we have like 90, well, scientificism, 90% junk DNA in our body. Now, I believe that's a lie. And I believe this is latent DNA, which means there is 90% of room of discovering what we're actually capable of when we tap into uh, the epigenetic uh, triggers and factors of expanding our DNA through protein bounds and, and the way it interacts with the environment, which then could lead to understanding the phenomena of telepathy, telepathy even more. However, I even believe that the, the tools we have now, like the cell phones, are just like the physical representation of what's already inherent inside of the technology of the human, which is 
um, you know, we are, we're like mirrors as, as inside, so outside, like as beloved, as above, so below. So that's kind of where I land with this at, at this point in my, you know, reasoning and, and meaning making. And I just really, I, I'm not afraid of technology. I think there's beautiful technologies we, we can build and just like a knife, you can use it to destroy or to just cut a bread. Right. Um, but I'm very, very, very skeptical with a lot of the, um, uh, yeah, transhumanism or, or, or technocracy, obviously, but also even when it goes just to this idea that all of our problems, let's just invent technology that fixes it. Yeah, no. I was having an interesting dialogue with somebody a week ago about this concept of artificial intelligence and what comes from the source. Mm. And he was talking about this, how this works in a multidimensional perspective also in other realities and other civilizations. And basically that through the evolution of a civilization, they either go artificial or they go return back to the source as they evolve further. And with this uh, going back to the source is what you were talking about, about this latent DNA and reactivating all of these gifts and things that we are capable of, but that we just haven't unlocked yet because we haven't reached that stage of evolution. So we can choose to continue to evolve through our technology and integrate completely with the technology. And that means we are cutting off our connection with the source and cutting mm -hmm. off our possibilities to evolve all these beautiful things that are within us that some people have developed, by the way, already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or go for that. So and I, to I'd add rather to go this, back to the source, you know? Same here. And to add to this, I love the way that, you know, this just landed uh, kind of in the sparring between us here and the, the conversation you already had with another friend. But to add to this, I believe that a lot of the abilities to tap into more of our latent DNA or our, our true abilities happens in social fields. And it can't happen in a social field in which we are, living on a reductionist paradigm or where we are competing against each other for the sake of transaction or the incentive of, um, again, like, you know, exploitative capitalism. But if we're actually in fields um, of cultivation of peace or cultivation of harmony, which I'm fully with you, doesn't mean the absence of duality or the absence of friction, but it's, it's a different access point to friction. We, we will see it as just a factor to thrive over, right? Like, oh, look, we have a, a thing that we want to have a different relationship with. Like, how exciting, right? I'm making it a bit simple. But, but so I believe that in social fields, some of our abilities will actually come online because it's trust, honesty, and love that make it possible. And in the world where we hide things from each other, where, you know, if you look a little deeper, any government is connected to corrupt streams of lobbyism or uh, corporate interest, these abilities can, can barely show up. Now, when you pair this with indoctrination of fear through main, mainstream media, well, now you're just clogging the system to, to bring these gifts online. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I've contemplated on this a lot, how this all works and what activates consciousness and what does not and tried out a lot of altered states of consciousness and then looked at how the world is working now and why so few people seem to have this connection with something greater than themselves that so many people are lacking that and for that reason i believe it's really it's essential it's like unavoidable we really need to build different habitats we need to build different villages in different cities where everything is designed differently where everything is designed so you don't feel forced you don't feel fear you don't have trades you don't and you can just relax and that's when these magical things will definitely evolve more with people also, their loving kindness will grow and simply looking at the science of the heart and the brain and all of these things is already proven by far. Huh? The first steps mm -hmm. of it, it's not proven that it will lead to telepathy. It's not proven that it will lead to telekinesis, but it's proven that it will lead to greater sense of awareness mm -hmm. that it will lead to higher perspectives of the patterns mm -hmm. of that you are surrounding yourselves with, that it will lead to greater levels of meaning and satisfaction, will lead to more courage, etc., etc. And these are all capacities no that a lot of people don't have in the big time boxes. and actually the high performers of our world have those capacities already at least uncovered a little bit right they're moving into that gradually and gradually now i'm not talking about the power players that rule through fear and monetary assets only i'm talking about that the true high performers totally totally a lot can be right about it
Dan, such a such an amazing conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for you know making your life uh, a commitment to you know creating um, spaces, uh, facilitating for spaces just like Gaianet and the weaving connection between people, and also for this this planned this planned consciousness that is this vibrating in both of us. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention or anything you want to point people to where they can interact with you or where they can, can find more, more of your work or start to connect with GaiaNet? I'm obviously going to link it out as well. Yeah, well, I was talking today again with Travis Grant. Do you know him of Oravana? Have you met him at all? No, I don't think so. Huh? Not I don't yet. think Travis and I have met, no. No, it would be great to have a podcast with him. Huh? Introduce us. So anything worth mentioning for me, the more and more I work on GaiaNet, the more people I meet, the more projects I look at, the more I realize I need to just focus more of my time on Oravana. Because it's a project that writes a, um, it's a description of models and systems of how to create a, a world of global human need fulfillment. That's the very short version of it. Uh, it's complex material, but if people are interested in new civilizations and how do we design a new civilization that's based on loving kindness and, and that it has based on decades of accumulating information of what does it mean to thrive to flow food decisions material how to live your life then yeah most of the answers are in there um and guy in it of course so i'm here at service of anybody who's listening who needs a connection who wants to learn about certain projects uh, we are uh, creating an ecosystem map where it will be easier for people to navigate the projects around guy in it that it will be done in a couple of months and basically anybody who is working on uh, global operating systems or or mapping tools for navigation of resources and knowledge people and projects then please send me a message you can find me at dan telegram um on telegram of course and um that's it keep on rocking if you listen to this and all the way to the end then you're probably on a really good path because you're probably still engaged so i love you and i hope to meet you one day and i hope you thrive through what you learned and that you got something out of it and uh, yeah thank you thank you so much Dan. this was a joy <laughs> yeah